If at any point throughout the broadcast you hear a topic you would like to discuss or feel you have a tidbit that you could contribute, please don't hesitate to call in. I would absolutely love it. It would make my day. How about you, Brandon? Would it make your day? I don't really care. Great. The number to call is 718-928-9RFB. Again, that's 718-928-9732. And you know what? Even if you just want to call in and say hello, or better yet, call in and say, you suck, go ahead. It would be just as delightful. Now on with the show. Okay, and as promised, we have live in studio John William Schiffbauer, former Deputy Communications Director for New York's Republican State Committee. Last fall, he served as the campaign manager for Republican Melinda Crump, that's Crump with a C, uh, her state Senate campaign in New York's 31st District. Now, how'd that go? Did you guys win? Uh, Of course not. Oh, what do you mean? Why? Is Is that a Democratic district? It, yes, it's an overwhelmingly Democratic district. Okay, so then why even take on the challenge? Well, it's first off, it's it's the district in which I live in ah, Manhattan, okay. um, and she, I got in touch with her, and she didn't really have much of a campaign staff hmm. organized, and so I felt since because it's my home district, I should pitch in. If really, yeah. And how was she as a candidate? She was actually a very good candidate. Um, she was a first time candidate. Um, and okay. so there were some natural kinks that go along with being a first-time candidate, which is you, you're, it, it you takes it. a well, it takes a lot to ramp up and get yourself into the groove of actually campaigning. You know, it Unless, takes a, it's going to take longer for you to build, say, a finance and donor network. It's going to take a little longer for you to understand the dynamics of how to actually campaign. You know, how to reach out and talk to the press, how to, you know, and how to give a statement without without making sort of mistakes and saying the wrong thing but or having what you say interpreted in the wrong way. You're saying yeah. this as though like this was a normal election cycle. I mean everything you just said, hello, who did that and won? Yeah. Well, but that's it's a little different. I mean, Donald Trump was going out of his way to was alienate he? people and did places and to? things. Did he have to go out of his way to do that, though? I think he. I think that's just who he is. He can't help himself. Okay, so full disclosure. So the first time you and I ever spoke about Donald Trump, we were working some event together, and I remember I kind of knew that you would work for the state party. And I kind of, this was very early. It was probably not long after he announced. And I kind of sheepishly walked up to you and brought it up. And we were both on the same page in the sense that you thought, this he was a hairdo. This was not going to go anywhere. He would not come close to the nomination. What well, I was do? still working at the state party at the time, and we all in the office, we all said, you know, when he announced it was August 2015. It was mm-hmm. very early. The primary season hadn't hadn't even started. Right. And and so we all sort of we all rolled our eyes because um, we knew who was running his campaign, and we you know he has a reputation for being a hairdo. Who? Donald Trump. Okay, but you know you knew about Corey Lewandowski. We didn't know. We knew Roger Stone. We knew Mike Caputo, um, and you know all these. There was a large Buffalo contingent that was because he's very popular in the Western New York Republican Party. Um, But so all these people were running in some way, shape, or form his campaign. Um, Corey Lewandowski was fairly, as far as national politics, he was fairly. This was his first major campaign Mm -hmm. um, because he was Corey Lewandowski came out of uh, the Americans for Prosperity. Right. Uh, group. Um, Gross. 
But uh, but so we all, you know, in August 2015, we were all rolling our eyes at Donald Trump, and we Republic. said, but we all said, we all said, well, everyone in in my office that I would work with, we were all like, okay, well, you know, we didn't really take him very seriously, and I think the Republican establishment didn't take him very seriously. Um, and again, like I said, it was the beginning of the primary season. We really, honestly, didn't know how things were going to shake out. Um, and our office was very divided. You know, I was a big Jeb Bush, Marco Rubio fan. Most of the people in my office were big Scott Walker supporters. Um, and, and, and so it just, it was, we were all just kind of in our own little camps when it came to horses in that race. Um, but, you know, we all said, all right, Thanksgiving, if Trump is still around, then we'll have to take him seriously because if he's, that's, that's sort of make or break when it comes to right. people getting in and people getting out. Right. Uh, so you, so you originally supported, you said Jeb Bush, Marco Rubio. Who was supporting Scott Walker and why? Wasn't he? Well, I'm, I'm not going to disclose who well, was supporting. But I don't mean, who. I don't mean, I don't mean like give us names, but I'm saying what was their platform? I mean, he was in the pocket of the Koch brothers, literally almost. Well, to be fair, the Koch brothers are a lot more liberal than the conserv than the typical right. uh, conservative Republican. That's true. Um, I would actually say they're much more libertarian than, than Republican. True um, but uh, Scott Walker had gone, I mean, he'd gone on to uh, attack the public sector uh, unions. And, and and to be fair, I'm a member of two unions. And I can honestly say as a union member that I would like to see unions helping uh, their members get jobs or helping their members support not necessarily a golden contract, but certainly a fair contract that allows people to keep their jobs. You know, I would rather, as a union member, I would rather be working than on strike. And I think most union members would say the same thing. And I think that's part of what happened in 2010 and 2011 with the public sector union stuff is that people, that the unions were just being intractable. And Scott Walker said, look, if we can't come to a fair agreement, then there's a pyrrhic solution. And we're we're going to have to take that. What um, unions are you part of? No, no, no. Uh, I'm a member of uh, SAG-AFTRA and Actors' Equity. Oh, okay. Yeah, important. Very important union. Yeah. 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 Um, do you think that, all right, well, this morning, for example, like, I mean, we're just going to kind of jump in because jump. So the point I wanted to make with that first question is that you were never on board with Trump. And then what happened? Explain to them, to the world, what happened once he got the nomination. I, uh, well, I, when it became, it became very clear on March 1st uh, of last year, the big Super Tuesday, that when Trump basically cleaned up and basically knocked um, Jeb Bush, Marco Rubio out of the race, then I didn't really have a horse because John Kasich, as much as I like and admire John Kasich and the people who were running his campaign, I I knew he wasn't going to win the nomination. Right. And so I resigned. You quit your job. I did. I think that's pretty noble. I, am I So, he, okay. This morning, for example, Trump released a tweet, Storm, Basically, basically saying, don't listen to General Kelly. Don't listen to anyone from the White House. The travel ban is, in fact, a Muslim travel ban, and it should have been more severe than this politically correct one released in March. So he undermined all of the people he sends out to speak for him. Well, he's done that many, many times before. Right. He did that with the firing of James Absolutely. Comey. And so I guess my question is, how long... Now, there's... You know, I put people in two different categories. There's the Sean Spicer's and Kellyanne Conway's who are just puppets, and I don't know if they have any sense of... Well, I would disagree with that. Um, well, okay, but then but then there's General Kelly. General Kelly, H.M. McMaster, how long are those guys going to... 
be made fools of. Because I think when the president does that to them, it is it is so undermining and it's embarrassing, totally humiliating. And it shows it's it gives other people a lack of confidence in his staff. And it's who do so who do we call over there to understand what is going on? It's that's that's sort of to me that's what it would communicate to me if I were a member of Congress or a staffer on the Hill trying to get in touch with someone at the White House or at any of the other uh, departments. It's so I don't know. I mean, they'll stick. They'll stick around as long as they want to stick around. Do you think Kelly, General Kelly and McMaster? You think they'll put up with that? I don't know. We'll find out. I hope not, because here's the thing: it used the narrative was, and still technically is, but I think it is losing its muster. The narrative was that having guys like General Kelly, H.R. McMaster, and people along those ranks, having them in the cabinet gave him they some, lended legitimacy. Right. They gave him legitimacy, and if nothing else, they would. Rein him in, keep him on the sane train. They well, are. That's not. That's not the job. I would say that. Well, if, no, that's not the job of General Mattis, General Kelly. That that's partly, I would say, falls within the purview of H.R. McMaster when it comes to national security and issues of national security. Right. Um, but the main job, in order to keep the president censored, for lack of a better term, in public at any rate, that's part of the job of the chief of staff, the political director, right. the deputy chief of staff, the press secretary. Um, that's that's their responsibility. What do you think of Reince Priebus? I like him a lot. I've always liked him. I think he did a fantastic job at the RNC. He took he when Barack Obama got elected in two thousand eight, the Republican National Committee, the party in general, was decimated. They they had some of the lowest members. Who was the chair then? Do you know? I can't remember okay. in two thousand eight. But um, after the two thousand in two thousand nine, when it came time to elect a new chair. Because usually it's two it's two year terms, mm-hmm. um, and Michael Steele was oh, elected right. the former lieutenant governor of Maryland, um, and it it didn't exactly organizationally he was still trying to put together some sort of winning coalition and repair the finances, um, but they ended up having to take out a thirty million dollar loan. Reince Reince was uh, senior staff mm-hmm. at the RNC at that time, but they had to take out a thirty million dollar loan. Um, in order to cover expenses for the 2010 midterms. Um, and then Michael Steele decided not to run for re-election, and Reince ran instead mm-hmm. and won. And so he was RNC chair from 2011 through until through the 2016 right. election. And he did a very good job of repairing, repairing the financial straits of the RNC, and organizationally, he brought in some great people that did all of the data analytics and everything that they needed organizationally to put together a winning coalition. Well, having done all that work, you know, I had my problems with him just, you know, him being ahead of the op- opposition. Sure. sure. Well, but that's fine. You can you can right. you can criticize and critique and, and well, get angry at the opposition as long as sure. you realize they're the opposition sure. and not the enemy. But right. Yeah, no, that's true. But I do have to say, you know, during throughout the general election and throughout the whole campaign season, he was very kind of mum on Donald Trump when he got the nomination, which he never expected, no one expected. He handled it very kind of... Well, Sean Spicer actually got in trouble because he, during, I think it was the fall of 2015, he gave some sort of comment, I can't remember to which media outlet, but he, he openly call, asked Donald Trump to tone down his rhetoric and got in trouble for that. Got in trouble with who? Uh, got in trouble at the RNC. Got in trouble with the Donald Trump campaign because they well, called up and said, you know, what the heck's this guy doing? Speaking for the world, but look, okay, that's fine. I get it. But here's the thing. Then... When Reince becomes chief of staff, 
he does change. And he starts going on TV doing saying stuff like this. The president's also said that when Obamacare does ultimately explode, which it will, uh, we are going to be prepared to lead again. And if Democrats come on board with a plan down the road, we'll welcome that. Okay, I, I, I want to talk about that in a second, but the president, I don't know if you even know this, has been <clears throat> tweeting this morning, and I want to put up a tweet. I, I see the look in your eye. No, I, I've seen <laughs> you do see, no, this no. one. He said this morning, Democrats are smiling in D.C. that the Freedom Caucus, with the help of Club for Growth and Heritage, two conservative think tanks, had saved Planned Parenthood and Obamacare. So he seems to be putting it right on the, the right wing, the hardline conservatives in your own party. Well, I think the president's 100% correct, and he hits the bullseye in that tweet like he often does. I mean, he hits the bullseye in that tweet like he often does. I love him so much. I mean, it's like he... Well, that's your job as chief of staff. When you, when you, you, when I thought your that was job, the communications director to kind of talk him up. That's the job of, and it's not just in the White House, but if you're working for a House member, a state Senate member, a governor, any any kind of political position, if you're working for them, if, you're, if you decide you're going to go on their payroll and support them, you go out there and whatever line they take, you have to sell it, no matter what your position is. If but you're that, going on camera or talking to any kind of media, that's your job. Well, So whether, whether you agree with your boss's position or not, you still have to take it because that is something your boss has done. But as the chief of staff, you're not... First of all, he didn't have to go on TV. I mean, like, I know that, obviously, if he's asked to, you can't be like, well, yeah, he could have haunted that and told someone else to do it. But the thing is, is that we've heard him talk before about Donald Trump, and we know we know that he has a, enough of a head on his shoulders not to think he hits the nail on the head with that tweet, as he often does. No, no, no right-thinking person thinks that his tweets are always 100% nailed, you know, totally nailed it. I'm not disagreeing with you. I'm just, you're asking why he would say something but, like that, and that's, and that's the reason why. It's because he is now think, the White House chief of staff. He is the second most powerful person in the White House. Don't you think, okay, you, I, now I know what you're going to say to this, that your jobs were totally different, obviously, and on different levels, but you didn't have to quit your job. In fact, it would have been easier for you, someone like you, to stick with your job because you... Yes, you're working with a uh, committee of that party, but you would never have to deal with him directly. Uh, it, it's, it's a little, the circumstances are certainly different. Um, but when you're, when I think Reince Priebus decided to take the job of White House COS, he decided that he need, th this campaign mm -hmm. needs, and, and now this presidency, will need adults in the room who aren't going to let the country go off the deep end. And I would certainly... I was certainly very happy to see that um, Reince Priebus, Sean Spicer, and Katie Walsh all came on the White House payroll. Right. And that's kind of what I was going to say with that was the original narrative with McMaster and Kelly. And not, not even not it's not their job to, you know, clean things up for the media. I'm just saying having them around, that's surrounding yourself with a good team and good people so that it gives it legitimacy and it can keep it from going off the rails. But it hasn't kept it from going off the rails. And so now my question is, at this point, if they aren't going to be able to give give the sense of direction in an adult in the room, then it, aren't they just sullying their good names? Uh, I mean, that's that's for them to decide and for what post-White House career they want to have. But I, I would say or that, I mean, that. they're obviously not, well, they're obviously not going to get hired by, you know, the DNC or any Democratic senatorial candidate or even a Democratic presidential candidate. I mean, they'll get jobs, hopefully. Um, once they leave the White House in in the same way that most, you know, chiefs of staff and communications directors and press secretaries have. Um, 
But, but because because in your post post White House career, it's all about as you know most uh, former senators, former House members, they get jobs lobbying or they get jobs uh, you know on boards of different companies because what they have is access into the political world. Right. Um, and so one way or the other, they're going to have they're going to be able to sell the fact that they worked in these positions for you know six months or more and have access. But by then, they're you know like. George W. Bush, people loved him or hate him. You know, he had very low approval ratings when he left, but he'll always be, you know, have the esteem of a former president. Now, we don't know what's going to happen with Donald Trump. We don't know. But either way, when he leaves office, if you were his chief of staff, you're going to have connections mainly with his presidential library. I mean, like, you know, so and he was an outsider coming into this campaign. And I have a whole feeling that once he leaves, whether it's in two months or in three years or whatever, he's going to go back to being a real estate guy. Well, again, like the people who worked for Richard Nixon, mm -hmm. they all found post White House careers. Well, that was and, a little different. I mean, well, not really. He's the only president in, to I be think, in, in the last hundred years who's had to resign. resign. Um, yeah. So it's, you know, it's not, it, I don't think they're his staff. Hopefully, will not be sold. Unless, I mean, it depends on how closely they marry themselves to him. Um, and when you're, and, and I would argue that just by doing your job as a White House staffer, that is not marrying yourself so closely to his legacy, to Trump's legacy. I don't know. I don't know though, because they they're doing more than just as a staffer. Like I said, the chief of staff didn't have doesn't have to go on TV. Traditionally, yeah, I mean, it's not an it's certainly not unusual, and it's actually right. it's very common for a White House chief. You saw it with but Andy. You different. saw it with Andy Card. You saw it with Rahm Emanuel and Bill Daly. But these are different. This is a different. It's a president. different president, but it doesn't. I mean, that's still the traditional role of any senior White House staffer um, to be a right. surrogate to be a television yeah. surrogate. But it is so different. This like it's hard to. I mean, I feel like you're doing a good job of kind of looking at this as just another presidency. But we both know, I mean, this is an uh, this is a weird well, situation. so far, thankfully, the courts haven't allowed yeah. um, Trump's travel ban to actually be in effect. Right. And I don't think they ever will, because if, hopefully. If, well, I don't know if they ever would, but they certainly can't now because he has undermined himself so much. He doesn't even realize, like when he goes on but Twitter... That's part of the, but that's part of the point, is that how much of his policy will actually become law. He can tweet and he can go on TV all he wants and he can bluster, but how much of what he's blustering about will actually become law? Well, a lot of it hasn't because of his own missteps, but if he if he but this is the first 130 some days like he if he starts to figure it out. Well, when you're 6 months 6 months into a presidency and already Republican members of Congress are talking about possible obstruction of justice and impeachment, I think you got bigger fish to fry than a right. than a travel ban, which I want to talk about because well, I'm not a lawyer, so I, unfortunately I, know. I can't give much insight on that. Well, okay, but here, you brought up Richard Nixon. I want to play a short clip. This is Elizabeth Drew. She's the author of a book called Washington Journal. So she was a, she was a journalist during Watergate, and what she did was she basically kept a real-time journal of everything that happened and, you know, as it happened so that it could just be documented, but it ended up being a book. Go figure. But this is what she had to say. She was interviewed, and basically— Someone, this was back in, I think, March. Someone said, could you compare Donald Trump with Richard Nixon? And I thought her, in, her answer was pretty interesting. It's kind of long, so prepare yourself. Oh, they're so different. I can see similarities in how they're reacting to things. They both, A, hate the press, and B, are very suspicious of the press, and see, use 
their dislike of the press to their own political advantage. I mean, you keep reading that, well, Trump's backers just thought it was great the way he was denouncing the press in this press conference. They think that's terrific. Nixon did the same thing. So that is a similarity. They both, I don't want to throw around the psychobabble terms, but they both have a fair amount of have or had of paranoia that they're out to get me. And Nixon knew that the bureaucracy, the bureaucrats, were all liberals and they were out to get him. Trump is certain that the intelligence agencies are out to get him. And so he's going to try to muzzle them, which is a huge mistake. He's making a very big—I can guarantee you that will not end well for him. So their their reactions and their manipulations are somewhat the same. But Nixon Nixon was a very smart man. I don't know how to comment on Mr. Trump's intellect, but I wouldn't think it's it's not terribly deep. He he can't do concepts, and he doesn't do layers— but Nixon really understood you could, you could have a serious conversation with Nixon about China or Russia or trade or whatever, and he, he had a good mind. Trump is not a serious man. He doesn't have a serious mind. He doesn't read. So that, that's a big difference. So basically, she's saying they were both hated the press. They're both pretty paranoid. Um, but Richard Nixon was a smart person you could have an adult conversation with, and Trump is just kind of, he doesn't read, he's a dumbass, is basically what she comes to say. I mean, would you say that's... It's, I've I've never met, I never met Richard Nixon, and I've only, I've met Donald Trump basically in a, basically in just like a handshaking Mr. Right. Trump sort of way, in that when I was very early on when I was working for the state party. Because um, mm. at that time, he was thinking of running for governor. Okay, but as, okay, but having watched... So I, I personally cannot speak to his oh level God. of intelligence, but from everything I've read, every his reputation, and I would agree, seeing. is not... And, well, I would hope that he's read a policy briefing or two now that he's in the Oval Office. I would hope. You would hope. Um, but um, who knows? Well, so I think it's safe to say he doesn't like to read. He likes to have his briefings and pictures. And this is not me just saying this. He's This is what he has said. I mean, his reputation is that he sits in the residence watching Fox News right. and tweeting at 3 o'clock in the morning. Which um, is, and okay, if that's how you want to run your Oval Office, okay, you won. That's your. It's perfectly within your purview to do so. But uh, I okay. can't say that makes me take him more seriously than I did two years right. ago. So, as a Republican, how do you feel like your party is being? It's kind of like what we were talking about earlier. It's embarrassing to go out and you know make a statement for the White House and then have the president well, who is in I, charge of the White I House. I think. I think uh, Paul Ryan, Speaker Ryan, who Trump actively tried to unseat in mm-hmm. 2016, he endorsed Paul Ryan's primary challenger and worked hard to try and beat Paul Ryan <laughs> yeah. in a primary, which is just, uh, it's unheard of. Unheard of. Um, and and I think Speaker Ryan and uh, Senate leader uh, Mitch McConnell have worked out, I don't, I'm sure they've had multiple discussions, and certainly their staffs have had multiple discussions, I'm sure. Um, about how to deal with this. And you can sort of see it with how the health care bill um, passed the House. Um, it, it was like pulling teeth to get um, the moderate Tuesday group uh, House members, which are about 50 Republicans um, in the House, to try and vote for it. Because first, they, as a block, they voted against it. And that's part of why it never came to a vote the first time. Um, and eventually, they were able to write in certain amendments that allowed enough 
um, as you saw, it barely passed the House. Right. And it's it's going to, the reputation that the the classic line about the Senate is that there's a saucer that cools the coffee. And and I think that's what we're going to see a lot of in the Senate is a, we'll, you'll be seeing a lot of bills passing the House, and then they'll just go to die in the Senate floor. Yeah, I was going to say, because then anything that the Senate comes up with won't pass the House. Correct. And so it's just going to be a total standstill. Yep. So by this time in Obama's camp, uh, first term, he had done some stuff. Well, he also had veto. I'm, he also he also had um, filibuster-proof majorities in both in both the House and Senate. So it's a little different. Wait, wait, wait. What do you mean filibuster-proof? As in, oh, the Republicans or the Republicans didn't have enough votes right, right. to over to launch a filibuster in either the House or the Senate. Well, that's been taken away from us now because of. Because of the, it's the filibuster isn't gone. It's only gone for judicial nominations, right, right. which right. which I certainly do not agree with. Me neither. So, and I think that's going to come to bite them. But back. the filibuster is still is still effective, right? But it's not going to do much for us because we also are having it can. Well, I our mean, numbers are small now, not as small no, as yours. Were. We've got fifty. We've got fifty-two Senate. We don't right. have, and there aren't enough Democrats who are willing to vote with Republicans to get to sixty votes. Zero. So, well, Joe, there's Joe Manchin, there's Claire McCaskill, there's Heidi Heitkamp, who. Um, Who's Heidi Heitkamp? She's the Democratic senator from North Dakota. Oh. And oh. Joe. And then you've also got Joe Donnelly, who's the Democratic senator from Indiana. So basically, any red state Democrat who's up for re-election next year is a potential, potential. vote to court. But you um, can't be an extreme, an extreme bill. It Well, it certainly can't be an extreme bill that would pass the Freedom Caucus, which is right. has been... So it's going to obstructing government. You, everyone, everyone gives gripe that that the Republicans have been obstructing government. It's really the thirty plus members of the House Freedom Caucus that are. But you know who they are. You well, know how they, they haven't. About. It's interesting. They haven't actually published a formal list of who is a caucus member. Yes, because they're ashamed. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Other, other than the past chairman, who uh, it was Jim Jordan, and now it's Mark Meadows. It was also the guy who does the budget committee now. He's in charge of the budget committee. What's his name? I don't think he, he was ever. He said the guy he was. who took over for. Budget? He, yeah. I don't think he was ever a Freedom Caucus chairman. Oh, but he was a Tea Partier. Well, that's too, that's oh, completely I know, I know. different. I know. Well, but the, well, the Tea Party caucus. I mean, the Freedom Caucus. They, a lot of them, they're all Tea Partiers, but right. it doesn't mean that well, Tea Party tea congressmen party, yeah. are necessarily members of the Freedom Caucus. Let's talk about Greg Gianforte. Okay. So, if, for anyone who doesn't know, he was the Republican congressional candidate in Montana's special election less than two weeks ago on May twenty fourth, the day before the election. He Literally, actually, the night before the election. Literally, this isn't not, not hyper, hyperbolic here. He literally attacked and body slammed a reporter for the Guardian named Ben Jacobs. Broke his glasses because he was trying to ask him about the health care bill. He has since apologized, but initially lied about it and blamed the reporter. I don't think I, you know, it's hard to say if he ever would have owned up to it had there not been that recording. So he was he's been charged with the misdemeanor assault, but went on to win. He went on to win now. How much does does this not reek of Trump's influence? I think ever since Trump became the nominee, there's been a tacit permission for a much more aggressive, not just from candidates, but and their staff, from, but from also from the voters, in order a, a much a tacit um, approval that they can get aggressive with members of the press, and and I can understand. I've seen certain moments where. The members of the press are sort of disrespectful to someone's personal space, 
because they're all trying to get the story. You know, they're all trying to, because they've got, you know, you got 50 reporters shoving microphones and, and iPhones on record in your face. Mm-hmm. And that's also a sign of an experienced candidate and an experienced campaign versus an inexperienced one. And, you know, typically a candidate would say if they take a question, one of the fundamental things that I um, made sure that my state Senate candidate understood was if you don't like a question you're getting from a member of the press, don't accept the premise of the question and just smile and bat it away. You probably never thought to yourself, I need to tell her, don't body slam the reporter. No, I never. <laughs> no, I, I, it's before. Yeah, before that, I don't think anyone ever had to right. think that, yeah, you can't get physical with the press. And he has been. You're not tra- Sean Penn. And he has been charged. Yes. But he went on to win. Now, a lot of people are saying because a lot of the voting was already done by that point, which is legit. Well, it also, I think another thing that also, it happened in a traditionally Democratic county in Montana. So any voters who were going to vote in that county were already probably going to vote, even if they were voting on election day, were not going to vote for him anyway. Who? Gianforte? Gianforte, yeah. Do you think he should have been, do you think he should have had to step out? Do you think he should have been allowed to keep running? I mean, after being charged with misdemeanor assault? Sure, I I would say, yeah, if you get elected, you get elected. If you're who the voters decide they want as your representative, but then you'll have to deal with the legal fallout. What's that? Like what? Being being charged with a misdemeanor and having to go to, you know. And having to deal with that full time, perhaps. I mean, it's, that's just the, if that's the kind of candidate you want to be, and if that's who the voters want, then you just, you're going to have to deal with that. And the voters will have to deal with that. Just like, you know, when Republicans chose Donald Trump, it's like, you know what you're getting. Did they choose? I mean, you mean the the, the, the voter, the voters. voter, Republican primary okay. voters chose Donald Trump and they knew what they were getting. It's not like it's not like they were unaware of what he was saying. He was blasting it out on Twitter and in video. And also outlets like CNN were running his speeches yeah. unedited. Right. You know, you'd have 45 minutes of Trump just shouting into the breeze. And because they were, they thought it was a joke. They thought it was entertainment. That yes, it was entertainment. However, it was getting. He was running for president, and right. they were getting ratings. And for some reason, That's, that well, did those those two things didn't CNN is connect. CNN's the worst because they're run by Jeff Zucker, who has actually gone out on speaking tours and said, "Look, if you say politics aren't sport, then you're just fooling yourself." So he really was thinking of this as a wrestling match. And he was all about ratings. That's why he got fired from NBC, but that's not the point. Um, he, Gianforte, though, I mean, that just speaks to such a, I mean, you think back to Trump at his campaign rally saying. There was a, was it a Black Lives Matter um, protester who got. Punch him in the face. Oh, who actually physically, yeah. Who were, actually, who got assaulted yeah. out of Trump rally. And Trump was sort of giving, passive, I can't remember exactly what he said. Well, he but said, it was I'll something, pay your legal bill. Yes. I mean, thinking I'm just being Funny. funny. Yeah, and it's not. Hey, you know, I I will be the first to say Trump should have a talk show. He instead of being president of the United he States, had one. I would rather. Well, I mean, the, the he premise had a wasn't really a talk show. I would no. I, I would say he should have gotten into late night. You know, that would be great. That's the perfect form for him is a late night talk show. You think? Oh God, maybe he'll do that once he's impeached. But let's <laughs> let, well, let's talk about that. Okay, so you said you aren't you aren't a lawyer. That's fine. Well, so recently, it recently came out today that there are new details on Jared Kushner's secret meetings with the Russian banker. Now, the report today said that it possibly was about him looking for a Russian bailout for his real estate enterprise. But this comes after the White House has insisted that it was part of his duties on the transition team. And the bank has said it was just to discuss business opportunities. Now, does it bother you that once again, they just can't get their story straight with something regarding Russia? How suspicious is all this? It's very suspicious, and that's part of the reason why there's a, a 
an investigation going on in both the House and the Senate, as well as now a the Senate. The, the House is so screwed up with uh, Devin Nunez and like. He, well, but he's not. He's recused himself. But he's still putting subpoenas. He's like that. That well, yes, that he shouldn't be doing that. No. But that's also something that. I imagine will be remedied because they want to. No, the Republicans want on the on that committee. They want to have their committee investigation. Mm-hmm. They want to be able to lend it as much legitimacy as the Senate Intelligence Committee. So I imagine that will be remedied. But and and this also reason why Rod Rosenstein, who is a Trump appointed Deputy Attorney General, appointed a special process, a special investigator. Well, did he have any choice? I mean, at that point, he always has a choice. He can say yes or no. But I think he wants. And and I and I was. I would be the first Republican to say we need a special investigator or a special prosecutor so that Congress doesn't have to deal with it, so Congress can get on with legislating and doing their jobs. If only they had anything to legislate. <laughs> well, yeah, right. I mean, there's plenty of stuff to legislate. Well, yeah, but yes, there is. But everyone's tied up with this. Does it bother you that, well, first of all, even let's say any of these stories are true. Let's just pick one and say it was to discuss business opportunities. This bank was under sanction. So there's really no innocent explanation for this. It was under sanction because of the involvement in the election. I think when you're involved with a winning presidential campaign and you're in the middle of a transition to discuss business it's, it's not even it's not even so much it's not even so much that the discussion happened it's that it was fail it was your failure to disclose it which is what right. all of the Trump people are running into that's what Jeff Sessions ran into that's what Michael Flynn ran into right. everyone's running into this problem and it's 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 not and that's part of the reason why there's an obstruction of justice thing going on right now because people it's not so much it's not it's not the crime it's the cover up Oh, well, we it's, don't know what the crime is. Right, but, but the cover-up is already... <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah. It wasn't so much that... I mean, even if the story, even if there is no legitimacy, as right. Trump and his White House claim, to Russia influencing the election, mm-hmm. even if none of that proved to be true, the fact that he went and supposedly asked James Comey to halt the investigation, that is obstruction of justice. Right. And even if no crime occurred, that's still obstruction of justice. Right. Because it doesn't have to be successful. And still failing to disclose sensitive meetings, regardless of what they were about. Even right. if they were innocent. Even if they had nothing to do with politics or the campaign or the White House. Your failure to disclose that you had these meetings with foreign nationals, any foreign national, doesn't even have to be Russia. Yeah. But any foreign national, while you're um, testifying before the U.S. Senate, is perjury. Right. Well, and the funny thing is, and it's kind of, with Jeff Sessions... He wasn't even asked the question. He offered up that information. Well, they all have forms that they have to right. fill right. out. When, but still, that was yeah. a public. I mean, he, they all failed to disclose it on the forms, right. even. Right. I mean, that's. And then they started to say, "Oh, I just forgot." Okay. How how often? You know, well, first of all, if your if your memory is that shoddy, then you need to be examined. You need to have a CAT scan or something. But either way, I just don't. It's just well, the Jared Kushner meeting happened in December. I don't think he and they took office in January. I don't, you know, I, I well, think he should right. be able to at least remember that meeting. The Jeff right. Sessions one, it's it's you know, it happened allegedly during the convention, and maybe we can forgive him that. But, but there was you should more be than able. One. It should be if it was a scheduled meeting, as they say it was. Right. It should have been on his Senate calendar. Right. And there, there is a record of it. And when it's becoming, and he should be able to tell his Senate staff, okay, I need lists of every single meeting I've ever had with foreign nationals right. over the last two years. And when it's becoming a storm, and it's all going all around you during your Senate confirmation hearing, you need to be ready for a question like that, not to lie. Absolutely. And 
you know, so I don't, so even if he says, oh, I just forgot, that to me is, is criminal negligence. Really? You're not going to get any argument out of me. Well, for a while there, you, when we would talk about this, you kept saying like there, there was no, what, like provable or whatever, but we're well, getting there. Well, right now we don't, no evidence has been made public either because right. it's part, it's classified because it's part of an ongoing investigation. So we really honestly don't know exactly what evidence there is or if there is any evidence. I assume there's enough evidence to warrant both a House and Senate investigation that has gone on for six months and also a special investigator right. by the Justice Department. So do you, uh, I don't know why I put as a Republican, do you think there's anything to these Russian connections? Or is it as Trump insists? I think there's been enough innuendo to warrant an investigation. Innuendo? But there's also been enough actual... Well, but again, we don't... Again, we, we don't first know. First off, we don't know. There, is, there has been no solid evidence. True. Re- revealed to the public. Uh, you mean of collusion? Of collusion. Of collusion. Okay. We know that there was. We know that there was hacking that right. then was sent to WikiLeaks. That's all we know. We don't. We, and and U.S. intelligence services have said all the hacking came from Russia. And they've said that they wanted one side to win over another. So it's in favor of Trump. Well, now, there we was no. Have... There was no hacking done of the RNC or the Trump campaign. It was only. It was John the Podesta, DNC. the DNC. It was. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, right. I think we can extrapolate certain intentions from there and that's yeah. and that is an important i do know that that is an important legal distinction is intent so yes. it's so if you can prove that russia acted with if you can prove that it was the russian government and they acted in the intent to influence the election just like if donald trump obstructed just if if donald trump asked james comey to stop or put a halt to the investigation of michael flynn with the intent to stop the investigation right. You take national security very seriously. I think everyone takes national security very seriously. But I mean, that's something you you would like, you support the rebuilding of the military and stuff like that. I mean, like... Well, I I support having a strong armed forces and I support making sure that our veterans are taken care of. But all my point, the reason I bring that up is with all we've learned about Mike Flynn, don't you think making him the national security advisor when Trump knew what he knew... Flynn had come to him to say, I'm under investigation. Well, but that's like saying they took Carter Page as a foreign policy advisor. I mean, it's, well, they, they pol- just had clowns yeah. on but, their campaign. But being a foreign policy advisor is not as... I mean, having someone like Flynn who was under investigation, was working as an agent for a foreign government... Well, as, as you've also read, I'm sure, is that Donald Trump values loyalty over substance. And so Michael Flynn had... Michael Flynn was on the shortlist for vice president. It's So it's... I'm not surprised that he had a senior White House post. But don't you think that that's putting our country at needless risk? Electing Donald Trump is putting our country at needless risk. So well, yeah. anything after that. But, you know, that happened because don't, don't never underestimate. Well, but so don't knock. So, I mean, you're, you're knocking but, who he's choosing for staff. That's that I'm not surprised by any of but that. But do you think that was a, putting our country at risk? Having him as NSA director? Well, of course. I mean, anyone who... Trump is going to well. He put in H.R. McMaster after. Of course. Well, yes, <laughs> that's because the grown-ups in the room well, said, "Look, you need." But we, let's we not cannot get do ourselves. this again. Let's not get ourselves. He doesn't listen. It's not like he's letting anyone else call the shots. I think he. I think he did listen to Jared Kushner and Kellyanne Conway during the campaign. Um, I think that was very evident because Kushner wanted were, to stay in the Paris Agreement. Well, there. It's. I think. Majority of the country, I think there's been many, yeah. many polls done lately that show the majority of the country would rather stay in the Paris Agreement. Right. Do you? Would you have rather stayed? Of course. <laughs> I mean, I mean, this is this is what makes me. This is what distinguishes me and makes me kind of a strange, an odd Republican. Right. Is that I'm pro-choice, pro-gay rights, 
I support limits on gun control. And I mean, as in assault weapon right. and assault you, weapons. Ban. You mean you you support limits on gun sales? I well, I support stricter background checks. Okay. I support an assault weapons ban. Um, I mean, it's. That's I mean, good. I it's it, it. There are just many many socially you could left never positions. You could never run as a Republican. However, I do believe in low taxes. I believe in just enough regulations to keep our our air, our water, and our environment clean and thriving. Yeah. And I mean, it's there's... you can lower taxes without it just being, you know. A... Well, that's 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 something that I think Democrats do get unduly. Uh, I mean, they they tie themselves in a knot, saying you know we want the rich to pay their fair share. And well, anytime you're, and anytime people are saying that, you're it comes across as punishing success. I don't buy into that anyway. I think the rich pay a lot in taxes. I think well, I think they do. I think there are plenty of tax loopholes sure. that allow people who should be paying a higher tax rate yeah. to pay much lower tax rates. And that's all part of streamlining a tax code, which I'm all in favor of. How did you feel about the health care bill, the American Health Care Act? I think it's not going to lower the cost of care. No. So, but, neither, to... but neither did the Affordable Care Act. Well, I think, it, I, think that it, I think that that has problems that can be fixed, but they don't want to fix them because they don't want anything to do with the Affordable well, Care Act. Well, it's been a political prop since it was passed for, for Republicans. Them. Oh, yeah. yeah. So you admit that? <laughs> of course, in the same way that now Donald Trump is a, you know, he, he, he Democrats can use him anytime they want to whack yeah, other but, Republicans who want nothing to do with him. But why didn't that work last fall? I think you'd have to ask the Hillary Clinton campaign. Well, we just so happen. No, I'm kidding. I wish we had someone. Well, let's talk about her. Well, actually, yeah, okay, let's talk about her because I think she is, a lot of people are just really, I mean, this is what makes me hate Democrats, is that people are so quick to turn their well, backs. Well, you don't hate Democrats. You get frustrated with Democrats. Whatever. Same thing. Well, I get, well, well words, certain, words are important. But I, well, I hate certain things about, I hate, there are certain things I hate about the current Democratic climate, if you can say that. One of them is they are so quick to turn their back on Hillary, and they, you know, they're kind of like failing to take into account a lot of the things that were unique to this past election. Like she went on, she was at, interviewed at CodeCon just recently, and she was talking about, she was asked specifically about what she thinks went into the whole Russian, you know, uh, campaign against her. And she answered the question. And just like she had been a few weeks before, because she said anything, people are jumping on her being like, did she say it was all her fault? No? What a loser. Like, like Democrats. Here's, what, here's part one of her answer. And we'll listen. Here's part one, and we'll talk about it, and then we'll play part two. Anyway, at CodeCon, well, okay, here we go. Here's part one of our answer. The question is where and how did the Russians get into this? And I think it's a very important question. So read the declassified uh, report by the intelligence community that came out in early January. This is 17 agencies. 17 agencies, all in agreement, which I know from my experience as a senator and secretary of state is, is hard to get. They concluded with high confidence that the Russians ran an extensive information war campaign against my campaign to influence voters in the election. They did it through paid advertising, we think. They did it through 
uh, false news sites. They did it through these thousand agents. They did it through machine learning, which, you know, kept spewing out this stuff over and over again. The algorithms that they developed now. So that was the conclusion. And I think it's fair to ask, how did that actually influence the campaign? And how did they know what messages to deliver? Who told who told them? Yeah. Who were they coordinating with or colluding with? Are those not legitimate questions? They're absolutely legitimate questions. So, like, people just want her to say, yeah, I was horrible. It's, I mean, it feels like that's what they want her to say, and they're not hearing anything else. Well, I think there is. Do I, you certainly, think- I certainly don't begrudge Hillary Clinton for going to high-profile events and, and knowing and knowing full well that people are going to ask her about the right. campaign. However, I would say, and do I mean, you that's think perfectly is- that's perfectly fine for her to do? And but I I do think that as a as an experienced candidate and Secretary of State and First Lady, she ha- it's also within her power to say to change the topic because I think people, Democrats especially, and you you're even you've seen it with former President Obama. He has laid off of Trump for the most part. And he hasn't really been trying to relitigate the election because right. it's it's done, it's over. Um, and but if there is any wrongdoing to be found, it'll it'll either be found or it won't by either the House, the Senate, or the special investigator. So I think it's totally within. I understand where Democrats are coming from when they when they up? well when they when they get frustrated that she goes on TV because anytime she opens her mouth like Trump, it's going to be headline news. Well, it wasn't during the campaign. <laughs> Anytime, yeah. Anytime she, anytime she released any kind of statement, it was always headline. It on, was mainly on, about her emails and being like her emails. It went that. I mean, for most of 2015, that was the headline news. It but, was. It was. But wait, let me play the second part of her answer because this is where it gets really okay. Like I feel like this is where people really should listen up. The Russians, in my opinion, and based on the intel and counter intel people I've talked to could not have known how best to weaponize that information unless they had been guided. And here's a... Here's guided a, by Americans. Guided by Americans and guided by people who had, you know, polling and data who information. Is now, let me just finish because this is the second and third step. So we know that they, they did that. We understand it. Um, best example? So within one hour, one hour of the Access Hollywood tapes being leaked. Within one hour, the Russians, let's say WikiLeaks, same thing, dumped (laughs) the John Podesta emails. Now, if you've ever read the John Podesta emails, they are anodyne to boredom. But they... Yeah, we had him here once. Yeah, but they were run-of-the-mill emails, especially run-of-the-mill for a campaign. Should we do this? What should she say? I don't... You know, the stuff that is so... Common, basic. Within one hour, they dumped them, and then they began to weaponize them. And they began to have some of their allies within the uh, Internet world, like InfoWars, take out pieces and begin to say the most outrageous, outlandish, absurd lies you can imagine. And so they had to be ready for that. And they had to have a plan for that, and they had to be given the go-ahead. Okay, this could be the end of the Trump campaign. Dump it now, and then let's 
do everything we can to weaponize it. And we know it hurt us because, you know, the, uh, the Comey letter, which was now we know partly based on a false memo from the Russians. Right. It was a classic piece of Russian disinformation, compromat, they call it. So for whatever reason, and I speculate, but I, I can't look inside the guy's mind, you know, he dumps that on me on October 28th, and I immediately start falling. So these are questions like, this is stuff that, you know, is true. It's accurate. And, you know, I don't know. Now, I know that Russians try and interfere with all sorts of stuff all the time, but I don't know if they've ever had this much success in an election like this. Therefore, I don't know. I think it is unprecedented that she had this working against her. I think it. she made the comparison. She said that Russian WikiLeaks are basically the same thing. I would say that's a bit of an exaggeration, especially she's a lawyer. She should, I mean, but she's also a politician. Um, but it's when you, you have to prove collusion first, and no one has so far... Well, she, released evidence right. that well she's not saying that it's true she's and so saying, i will hold off judgment until there is evidence but here's the here's because uh, i don't like i really i just don't like and I, and it, I don't like speculation and it bothers me when people on both sides of the aisle jump to conclusions without who, supporting who's evidence. doing that on the republican side uh, uh, take your pick and people jumping Collusion? to conclusion oh. people jumping to conclusions i don't know it people happens are... all the time well okay but here's my big big beef and this is what i think has to be eating away at her even if it's proved that he, there was collusion and he gets his ass thrown out of office, she still doesn't get to be president. Well, that happened, you know, in November. That's it's not going to change unless she runs in 2020, which no, no, I no. think but people I'm, are. But I'm saying if it's well, I'm saying if it was proved that he was colluding. Well, sure, but John, I mean, John Kerry, I'm sure, felt the same way after 2004. Al Gore, way. I'm sure, felt the same way in 2000. They're never. No, it's they didn't have any Russian collusion. Well, but. One way or the other, it's this is a big you can't deal. Re, you can't relitigate the election at this point. But if one was false, it's not just that. Look, I mean, Al Gore, we can say he lost because Ralph Nader or whatever. John Kerry, we can well, say, he lost because the the recount in Florida got halted way too early. Yeah, that's horse crap. But that was it was halted. Why? Because it went to the Supreme Court. Well, because it got political. Because sure. uh, I think her name was Catherine Harris, yes. who was the Secretary of State of Florida at the time. But it was also political because of Antonin Scalia. Now we can say he might not have. Either way, there was a court order. Yeah. First, there was a court order to okay the recount, and then the recount stopped, and then it started back again. And there were and there not... were and there were riots in Florida. There were there were far what I guess you would call at that point, seventeen years ago, the alternative right. Um, <laughs> yeah. Were mobbing the recount centers. Yeah, but again, and that's and there was there was legitimate danger there. So and, we can we and can... then the recount gets started again, and then it stopped. But we, yeah, and we can, we can, I mean, I don't think the recount should have, I don't think that should have been how it was handled, but it was handled by U.S. authorities. So their judgment calls are their judgment calls to make. This, if the Russians were colluding with the campaign to interfere in like, that's, that's illegal. That's criminality. Sure. And, and if Trump ends up going to jail, probably not. I mean, I doubt Trump himself will be, I, if there's any evidence, I doubt it will go as far as him because part of, in my experience, working, I've worked on a couple state campaigns here in New York, and when you're working on a campaign, your job, as soon as you sign up, you know that you're going to have to fall on a sword at some point if anything goes south. But so, who wants to fall on a sword for Trump? I would say Carter Page, Corey Lewandowski, Paul Manafort, Michael Flynn. These are I all guys who are going to, one Flynn, way or the other. He was fired. I mean, like... One way or the other, but, one way or the, but Trump still tried to... 
allegedly halt the investigation by the FBI and allegedly fired the FBI director over it. So, But Carter Page has been humiliated. Carter Page was just on Hardball tonight. I don't know if you caught it. No, I didn't. Yeah. Oh, God. It was, it was just be thankful that he's hard. He should just be thankful that Hardball is not a courtroom and Chris Matthews is not a prosecutor. Why? Uh, It it was just, was he, he uh, was, Chris Matthews was asking him questions in the same way that a lawyer would ask a witness on a witness stand. Um, And Carter Page, it was very clear that he was not telling the truth. And if he had been in a courtroom under oath, that would have been perjury. Right. Well, right, and so I don't think that they're going to be... Look, Mike Flynn asking for immunity, that right there kind of is an indication that he's not ready Asking to... for immunity and then taking the fifth. Right. There's that... some sort of wrongdoing there that oh, he's covering yeah. up, and yeah, but Trump allegedly tried to intervene, and Mike Which... Flynn, I think they all, on the campaign, I mean, one way, or, one way or the other, whether you know it or not, that is part of joining a campaign, is that if anything happens that comes out that was illegal, or if anything goes south politically... They're going to pin it on a senior or junior staffer. Right. And like they did to John Dean. It's, yeah. It's but just, then look what happened to him. He came clean yep. and Nixon went to jail. So Nixon didn't go to jail, but Nixon had to resign. Other people went to jail. John Dean went to but jail. But that's my point is that <laughs> I don't think this will go as far. If the only thing that they can hang on Trump, in my opinion, at this point, based on the evidence that has been disclosed, is obstruction of justice at the end. But not from the campaign, as far as the Russian collusion. That will probably end up, if it does prove to be true, that will probably get pinned on Corey Corey Lewandowski, Paul Manafort, Michael Flynn, any one of the other senior staff. It wouldn't be Corey Lewandowski because they got rid of him once he won the nomination. But it depends on on when the collusion started, Weird, if if it happened at all. As someone who's worked on campaigns, don't you think it's a little weird that they got rid of a campaign manager right after winning the nomination? Well, Corey Lewandowski, when you're... Being, I believe there was a lawsuit in Florida by a reporter that alleged oh. Corey Lewandowski had assaulted her in a much similar yeah. way that um, there was body slamming in oh, Montana. I don't think it was that severe, but you're right. But, I but, but again, I mean, that and that also is unprecedented for yeah. campaign managers to do. Yeah. It's a, and so it's I'm like not surprised. There was enough negative press around Corey Lewandowski that I'm not surprised that they replaced him. And they, But then Paul Manafort took over, and then he got replaced by Kellyanne Conway. Horrible. I know. Do you like Kellyanne Conway? I, I met her um, at several uh, New York State Party events, and she's, I will say, she's very, she's very nice in person. I'm sure. And she's very, very good at her job. And her job is to take a line and sell it. And she is fantastic at that. She never really, she never really strays from her talking points. Right. And well, she can get herself and in that's trouble what she's paid for. When she talks about, you know, the Bowling Green massacre. Well, yes, Oops. there's going to be, there's going to be faux pas. There's going to be, um, either bald face, either bald face <laughs> lies or misstatements, and that, but that just that that happens. That that's just part of politics now. It happens. Um, I, yeah, it, so it just happens. I was I was kind of under the impression that I was going to have to convince you that there was something to all this Russia stuff, but I but you've you. <laughs> I think there's enough circumstantial evidence to suggest that there. That something that something is up with this. Well, listen to Wine. This is Jill Weinbanks. She was a she was a Watergate prosecutor. Now I have a thing on this show where I talk about there are people out in the world who know more about certain things than you do. Talking to listeners, not you. Oh so, no, no. There's definitely many, many people out there, and, who know and more that's than okay. I, do. I think we're in the kind of a sense nowadays where people are like, it's you know, like I just hate leaping to conclusions without oh, there being no. supporting evidence. Right. So that's okay. why. That's why. Sure. I will, of course. 
So here's Jill Weinbank. She was a Watergate prosecutor. Here are her thoughts on the matter. We are well on our way to impeachment because I think there's a clear set of facts that show obstruction of justice. Uh, having prosecuted the Watergate case and seen obstruction up close, I could say this is exactly the same thing. Firing Comey is exactly what happened when you fire Archibald Cox, the special prosecutor. You're interfering with an investigation. You're trying to get it to shut down. And now we have the added memo that shows that he asked Comey to stop investigating Flynn in addition. So instead, he's pursuing a totally phony investigation of voter fraud, of which there is no evidence, while trying to shut down the investigation of Russian hacking and Russian interference with our democracy. Hyperbole? I would say, I mean, first off, we have only heard that the Comey memos exist. No one from the FBI has confirmed it. Comey hasn't even confirmed it. He might this week when he testifies. But so far, all we know is from unnamed sources that these memos exist. And if that's true, that's different. If it's just unnamed sources talking, again, we need actual physical proof. We need to see the actual memo. You're saying in order for their, and so that's why I will be, hesitant. Yeah, I mean, she's got experience with similar circumstances, right. and that's why she feels confident saying that. I, however, do not, and right. so do not feel confident saying definitively <laughs> that obstruction of justice occurred. But So you're, even if there's, let's say there's no memo. If there's no memo, then you can't prove obstruction of justice. Because, because we then, don't know that, even if there's a memo, like... There's no, the only other thing you might be able to go to would be White House transcripts, which you'd have to, I, I assume, subpoena. But you mean, if there's no... Well, I mean, the White House takes transcripts of every single meeting that well, goes yeah, on in the Oval they're Office. They're the ones who outed Trump for having <laughs> given classified information to these Russians. Yeah. Well, someone someone leaked it. It was. Well, yeah, but we it don't was know on who their transcripts. Was. Right. Well, yeah. that's how we know it was confirmed. Right. Can you believe that? He was so. Okay. I mean, all right. All right. So here's what the last thing we are going to talk about. What do you think, besides Russian interference and all that stuff, what do you think we just went really wrong for Democrats because we won nothing. So even if we well, were... That's not true. You won six House seats. But we, Okay, that's cute. We won nothing. I mean, like, we won six House seats, but we were people were talking about winning the House and the Senate and the White House. I mean, like, people really thought... So how were we... Why were we so wrong? Now, you never liked Hillary Clinton. I love her, but that's not the point. The point is, what, what do you think really was wrong with their messaging, if it was that? This is the, my total opinion as an outsider. Sure. I don't know really anyone who worked on her campaign. I never worked on her campaign. Um, I've been reading this fantastic book called Shattered, um, which came out recently, and it's and it's it goes very in depth on her campaign from inception to execution, and from watching in the media, from reading various reports, it just seems like they. And of course, twenty hindsight is twenty twenty, mm-hmm. much like how I'm sure Democrats are feeling about the next election. Um, it it feels like they didn't properly measure the uh, the mood of the electorate, the impact of Bernie Sanders because she lost Michigan, and I think she also lost Wisconsin in the primary, and those are two states that voted against her in the general as well. Um, so either her get-out-the-vote operation wasn't as strong as it should have been in the traditionally blue wall of Pennsylvania, Michigan, Wisconsin, because mm-hmm. those are the only three 
states that she needed to win um, in order. And if she had won those three states, she'd be the president. But she might have lost. She, well, she wouldn't have. She didn't she, lose anything else that she needed to win. Those three states, which have traditionally been right, a blue, blue the blue wall, mm-hmm. the Rust Belt blue wall since 1992, she's the first one to lose them. And it's, pro- and it's likely because of either low Democratic turnout or a com- probably a combination of all of these low Democratic turnout as well as anger, frustration amongst a white working class, sometimes male, sometimes it depends. I can't remember. It depends on the district and the county um, because she did lose women in some of those districts. Um, But it was just a very, very reactive environment. And she didn't, and she and her campaign didn't properly take the temperature of that and put sufficient resources to trying to win those voters. But... There were, I mean, like all the data available to all of us. Did you think she was going to lose on election day? No, right. But I'm, uh, but again, I'm not Hindsight. privy to. Well, also, presidential campaigns, especially all campaigns, do their own internal polling. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and that is invariably going to be different in certain respects from public polls. Um, but just going by public polls, yeah, everyone thought she had. People thought she had, was in a striking distance of Texas. You know, yeah, it's, but that was just, I mean, that was never going to happen. I mean, like, yeah, that, that was a short narrative that didn't last very long. But I mean, the polling that close to election, even in October, I think she was still, yeah. you know, within like two within the margin of error in Texas. So here's what I think the real problem was. I had and, I, you know, it was a friend of mine, but I had a real hardcore Bernie bro turned Jill Stein voter on the show probably two or three weeks ago. Is he New York? New York-based? He lives in New York, but he voted in Michigan. Aha. That son of a bitch. (laughs) I mean, like, and he doesn't seem to understand. It's okay. All right. We're not going to slander him at all. But I do think that he and I are perfectly represented by Bill Maher. There was a a far left that decided they just were not going to come around and unite with Hillary. And that was dooming and so naive i think in such a stupid selfish kind of like self-righteous decision and look where it's led us that's my feeling now i think that my bernie bro friend and i were perfectly represented by bill maher and cornell west do you know who that is yep he was on his show and they started talking about this in particular here's here's i broke the conversation up in two parts we might chime in after the first part we might just let it run but here's the first part I thought when you went into the police department, you understood that there was some danger in this job. I don't know where they got this idea that if I fear at all, I am allowed to shoot you. But that seems what's happening. And by the way, Trump is all for it, and Hillary Clinton wouldn't have been. So... As someone who said they were equally awful, no, I'd like to say equally yes, awful. you did. I said one was a disaster, another was a catastrophe. Exactly my but a, point. But How a disaster is dis- better than a catastrophe. Well, that point was lost. <laughs> oh, 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 stop but, 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 but let, let, let's keep the focus where it belongs. The police have well, yet to go to jail when they end up in committing violence and murdering these young black brothers and sisters. Right. But Hillary's first speech was about mass Hillary incar- gave speeches about all kind of stuff, but it didn't have a whole lot of integrity in it, though, brother. That that, that's such bullshit. That's not bullshit at all. Really? Look you, how they you, treated Bernie Sanders, man. 
They treated, concerned about the Russians. Look at how they treated Bernie Sanders. Yeah. Bernie would have won if he had a chance. See, now that's why I cut it into two parts. I have to chime in there because that is the biggest horseshit comment. Well, it's horseshit because he didn't anytime, win the primary. Well, it's horseshit. Well, even if he had won the primary, there's we will never know if Bernie would have been able of been able to beat Trump in November. It's it, just because mm. he lacked, and you saw it in when it came to mostly large states um, such as California, New York, Texas, Florida. He just didn't have the organization, and he didn't have the messaging in order to win a anything outside of a very narrow slice of the Democratic electorate. And, you know, look, people talk about the primary being rigged. I get that they don't like what they saw in terms of uh, Debbie Wasserman yeah, no, Schultz. Primary wasn't, the primary wasn't rigged. It, it wasn't rigged. She had a was, preference, big deal. She didn't put Bernie, in... Bernie was out-raising her in low-dollar donations for the entire primary, and the fact that he didn't know what to do with that money, I think speaks volumes about the kind of organization he had. Right. And by the way, no one was really running attack ads against Bernie ever. Had he won the nomination, they would have gone at him with everything they had. So, And we, there is a treasure trove. Yeah. Yeah, of course there is. But by the way, Bernie's like they see they act like he's just off the heavenly wagon. He's been in politics. He was the mayor. He's oh, been yeah, a congressman. He's been on a he's been on the public dole for so over 30 years. All these people don't know what they're talking about. But that so that comment really pissed me off. And here's what he went on to say. And this really does. These are the types of arguments that I hear Bernie fervent Bernie people still making. Don't, don't defend Hillary and Red. Hillary can't even take responsibility for the fact that she lost the election. Look what you did to him. On everybody, but, yeah. everybody but, he, but he's so, so don't, wrong. Don't, don't try Hillary he, out on he, me. He's, he's, wrong. he's so wrong. Oh, no, no, no. Why? He's so wrong. Why? She's if, better than Trump, if, but don't, don't lie about the sister. Just she's better than Trump. That's all I'm saying. A lot better than Trump <laughs> in so many ways. And just, just that, on this, that, 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 that just take too much. Just that doesn't take too much. Who is it better than Trump? <laughs> That's not an answer. It's glib. It's beneath That's you. Not, no, it's for not someone who's such, for someone who's such an intellectual, that is that answer is beneath you. Let me tell you why it's not. It's precisely because when I ask you, would you vote for 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 Donald Trump over David Duke? You said you wouldn't vote for either one. You're not talking. Yeah, Hillary you say, is not David that? Duke. No, no, but it's this. If you're talking about Wall Street, if you're talking about militarism, if you're talking about dealing with folk in Honduras, she's light years better than him about the, the, all the, of them. All the of those issues, Hillary is unacceptable. No, she is not unacceptable. The, the last, she was. Why are we still arguing the last election? And we got stuff going on Because they haven't learned the lesson that we no. need to win the next election. That's what I feel. That's why it's still worth talking about. It's because people. Like this, they don't. They haven't learned well, anything. But I would, I would agree. But I would also say that Hillary Clinton. I do ag agree to a certain um, degree with the people who are saying that Hillary Clinton. It's not in her interest to keep talking about why she mm -hmm. thinks she lost the election. Well, I don't think she has anything to lose now. Well, I think it doesn't. I can understand people who think that it's not helping the party because it's keeping the focus on her, and it's keeping the focus unless she wants to run again. She um, won't. I don't think she will. I'm. I'm just saying. It, yeah. It's. It, if she wants to run again, that's that's perfectly fine because that's what you do. But if she is done running, if she is retiring from public life, it's not in her interest or the party's interest to keep talking about what happened. You need to be talking about what happens next. And Hillary Clinton is not the person to do that right now. And the conversation about the last election is not going to get you there. And yes, I think Tom Perez 
cleaning house at the DNC and bringing in new people, new strategies, and Who new the Bernie donors. people were against. And, I mean, they got Keith Ellison as, they created a position called <laughs> deputy chairman. And, For him. I mean, and you think that, and do you honestly think, and they've been doing the unity tour together, and you think that Keith Ellison is not going to have a main line to Tom Perez? It's, it, that, and that's something that Tom Perez, I think, tried to make clear, is that, look, we're both progressives, Keith and I. Yeah. And I think Keith agreed with him when they were doing their final round of balloting. Sure. Um, he said, yes, we are both progressives, just I'm more progressive than he is. And it's like, all right, fine. Whatever. If you want to talk about how far on the spectrum of the left you are, it's, <laughs> it doesn't matter. Like, someone, someone show me how much legislation with Bernie's name on it there is. There isn't, there's maybe one or two. But, and that's because he cannot, and you saw it in the primary, he cannot build a coalition out of his very narrow slice of the electorate, just like he couldn't build a coalition around his ideas in Congress. So it doesn't matter what you believe or what you are advocating for unless you can get it implemented into policy, into actual law. And if Bernie can't do that... Well, people just... Well, and all this crap about her not taking any responsibility, she has... She has... I mean, she has said this among the other stuff that she said. I take absolute personal responsibility. I was the candidate. I was the person uh, who was on the ballot. Did Perfect. That's enough. So she has said it. So people being like, she just is so in denial. Well, but it's the fact that we're six months later and she's well, still... Answering questions. But she doesn't, again, she doesn't have to. Well, she's choosing. She can. She if I can, were her, I would feel like you know these assholes didn't do me any. But that's favors. fine. So right, and she's doing it. I would say you know stay away from the press, like mm -hmm. like President Obama has, and stay away from the press and write your book and let that be the end all be all. Well, and let people report no on the one book. Reads. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Well, that's. I mean, people I mean, still wouldn't write books if people didn't read. Right. But um. I mean, you have to read in order to do, in order to tweet. You have to at least be able to comprehend well, enough, wait. enough, enough, enough of the alphabet in order to Trump tweet. Can tweet? Do you think the Kafefe thing was just a distraction, a purposeful distraction? No, I think that was an accident that they then turned into something, something, the best spin that they could put on it. I guess. What was the spin? The oh, that there was a secret message. Yeah. That's insane. <laughs> These people are insane. Well, hey, that's Sean Spicer trying to say, oh, crap, you know, my boss just did it again. How do we, how do uh, I make this less of a headache for me? Don't you think for he the should just quit? Are they going to? I mean, he can if he wants, but he's decided, you know, I'd rather be would in, you? I'd rather, I, well, I first, I wouldn't have signed up to begin with, right. but uh, I would say Sean Spicer, again, kind of like <laughs> Reince Priebus and Katie Walsh, it's, I would rather uh, because I know I'm a sane individual, I would rather be in this position than someone, for instance, like Steve Bannon. Would you rather have Steve Bannon as a Republican? Would I rather have mm -hmm. Reince Priebus or Steve Bannon as chief well, of staff? They're both there. I would oh. rather have, right, well, but Steve Bannon is a counselor to the president in the same way Kellyanne Conway is yeah, a counselor to the president. Steve Bannon has a lot of pull. He's got a, well, sure, Trump can choose who he's going to listen to, right. but Reince Priebus in his official capacity is White House chief of staff. Yeah. Um, and that comes with certain legal responsibilities that are different from a simple counselor to the president in the same way that Sean Spicer, you know, it's Corey Lewandowski. He goes on as a surrogate, but he's not, he doesn't speak for the White House. Right. Um, whereas well, Sean Spicer is the face of the White House after Donald Trump. And I think he would rather have his position. He would rather it were him in that position than someone else who could be potentially completely unhinged. And <laughs> they're in, it's, it's almost like they are, sacrificing themselves in service of the party. You think? Because this not, doesn't make the party look good, and it's really just kind of selling their name. But they could, it, I'm sure they know it could look a lot worse. 
I mean, really? Like, how it could it have worse? I mean, you could have had, God, what's his uh, Is it Jason? Stephen Voorhees? Miller? Stephen Miller? Oh, God. Um, well, he's there. There's the, well, yeah, but he, he doesn't, he's not a, uh, a surrogate. He's, he's a speechwriter. He he's a speechwriter. But he, he could be White House press secretary, and I think oh. that terrifies Sean Spicer. Isn't he just horrible? <laughs> he's just horrible. His one media appearance when he was like, this president has absolute power and it will not be questioned. It was like, oh my God. These are the well, people. But these are the Trump loyalists who were with him yeah. throughout the campaign. And, and those are the kind of people that he attracts. Yeah. So, okay. So in our last few minutes here, what do you predict is going to happen? You don't like making predictions. Uh, well, I'm perfectly fine making predictions. Okay. Um, I, I I have problems with saying someone's go to jail or someone's committed a crime unless there's evidence. Okay. But um, what kind of predictions are you looking for? Like, what do you think? Who do you think Trump will be in office all four years? I uh, unless unless there is evidence <laughs> unless... to suggest that he committed a crime. Do you think yes. there is? I don't know. Well, okay, I think so we'll this find isn't out. a prediction. Well, but my prediction on Trump, I have no idea. If but there's you... evidence, yeah, it, it, there seems to be a lot of smoke. An, a lot of smoke. So we'll see. And if he is in office all four years, I think he loses re-election. I think even if he has to resign or gets impeached, I don't think he'll get—it would have to take extreme circumstances for a Congress controlled by the sitting president's party to impeach him. I oh, think there will be—but I think they, but I think they will let him resign before they try oh. to impeach him. Okay. Um, just like the same—I uh, mean, when Barry Goldwater—it took Barry Goldwater— <laughs> To go to the White yeah. House and say, "Mr. President, you don't have the support of your own party, right. and if you don't resign, you will be impeached." And Nixon didn't do as many bad things as Trump might have. <laughs> we <laughs> don't. We don't know. We it's, don't know. It'll eventually. It will all come out. Um, yes. And it will. but even if, if even if Trump resigns or is impeached, I think Mike Pence, unfortunately, oh. will lose. I don't think he gets elected in 2020. No. I he's he's it's. I, I've met Mike Pence, and he's a very he's I, a very nice. He's a very genial guy. And Whatever he's, he's a he's a religious. I think fanatic. he did. I think he did a lot of good things in Indiana, and then he's I think as soon as Indiana. he every time, well, he got hey. elected. He probably wouldn't have been. He probably would have been reelected if he had decided to run. But I mean, his successor, who uh, Eric Holcomb, who was he, first he he was the state party chairman, and then did they have Pence a special election? No, uh, was it? It was it was the actual. Oh, okay. So what happened was was Mike Pence as soon as he was nominated for vice president and, and announced mm-hmm. he wasn't going to run for reelection, what the state committee. We then got together, and they they had three people who submitted themselves for consideration. It was uh, Congressman Todd Rokita, Congresswoman Susan Brooks, and the state party chair, uh, Eric Holcomb. And oh. the committee ended up choosing Eric Holcomb. He won. Who did he run against? Um, Someone not worthy. I can't. I honestly can't remember who okay. the Democratic nominee for governor in Indiana was. Oh. But just, he, uh, uh, Mike Pence was a good governor until he started to get into the religion. Right. Which then started becoming discriminatory against Everything. a lot of people. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, he was famous for doing the religious freedom, or like what was it? The the misnomered religious freedom act. Yeah. So it was basically because you're legalizing take, discrimination. Yeah, the Hobby Lobby thing, which well, is yeah. ridiculous. Um, Brooklyn, and just like and just like um, Roy Cooper lost in North Carolina, or not uh, not Roy Cooper. Roy Cooper won. He beat Pat McCrory. Oh, who yeah. was the Republican governor at the time of North Carolina? Who he signed the bathroom bill, and that ended. That pretty much torpedoed his reelection. So chances. your so your prediction is after all. So your prediction is there'll be a. Pr- I don't think president. I don't. My predictions for twenty eighteen going forward. Oh. I don't think 
I think the it's going to be very difficult for Democrats to take back the House and the Senate. I just think the map in 2018 is not favorable to because Democrats. It's, jerry-rigged? it's not jerry rigged. It's the way it's, it's the way district. It's well gerrymandered. Gerrymandered districts are always gerrymandering. That's what it's I mean. all. I mean that's that's the fault. If you want to change the system, if you want to change the system, then be part of the committee. Be run for legislature because when yeah. that was part of the genius of Reince Priebus is that. Republicans took back a majority of state legislatures and governors' houses, and they were able to redraft after the 2010 census how well, what, these districts got decided. So I would say, Eric Democrats, Holder. you need to do the same he's thing. On the, he's on that. He's on that. Eric Holder. It's all—it's— Did you know that? I didn't know that, actually. Yeah, he's, uh, he's kind of trying to do, actually, what they did after this next and census. And that's fine. That's politics. But, yeah, but it does. But so the, map, just... the map just doesn't. The map just doesn't isn't favorable to Democrats in 2018. No. But 2020, I hope that's what they're aiming for. If they want to have any kind of shot. Well, well, why would you hope that? Oh, I see. Yeah, what? What's your? What's your? I, angle well, I, here. I I didn't vote for a Democrat in 2016. I voted for Gary Johnson and Bill Weld in 2016. Mm-hmm. Um, I also didn't vote for the, our Republican candidate for the U.S. Senate in new york because i was not a fan of hers wow um but i'm also not a fan of chuck schumer so i voted for alex merced who's a libertarian uh senate candidate and you knew he had a chance it's <laughs> i wasn't i didn't consider throwing it wasn't throwing my vote away right. it was first off wendy long had no shot beating chuck schumer mm-hmm. and any even even if there had been an honorable republican nominee in new york they weren't going to win new york yeah so That's it true. really, it wasn't, I, I wasn't living in a swing county in the Rust Belt yeah. or in Colorado or Virginia. So I could really pretty much vote however I wanted with a clean conscience. Yeah. Um, but that's what, I mean. Well, I predict he's yeah. not going to be there all four years. <laughs> so we're both on the I record. think that's, well, it's like I said, we'll, we'll see. A safe bet? Well, I don't know. But dem- Democrats bet? need to, they, they need to hunker down. They need to put to bed this ridiculous fight between the far left and the left and they need to nominate someone that can win and i a lot of people are saying elizabeth warren no i don't think that's i think that's a terrible idea hello we just saw that misogyny is still very active we well 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 that's for another discussion Brooklyn Pride turns 21 this year with a theme of equality, no exceptions. There are great events during Brooklyn Pride's week, Brooklyn's Pride Week, June 5th through the 10th, a documentary of the first openly trans FDNY firefighter, queer comedy, and a full day of activities on June the 10th, Saturday, this coming Saturday. There'll be a 5K in Prospect Park, then the festival, entertainment, family space, a parade. It's all on Fifth Avenue. Check out our their full week of events and learn about getting involved on the website, brooklynpride.org. John, do you have anything to plug before we head out? Uh, I don't. I'm, I'm not writing a book. I'm not running for office. Okay. So, you know. <laughs> okay. Well, as I always say at the end of every show, apathy is the enemy, for God's sakes. Educate yourself. Watch the news. Form an opinion. Care. And then take some action. John, thanks so much for coming in today. It's been a long journey. Oh, thank, no. Thanks for having me. Of course. Happy to be here. Hopefully you can come back sometime. Maybe after all this is all the dust is settled. Uh, I think there's going to be, it's going to be, it's going to take a little while for all that dust to settle. There's a lot of dust. It is. All right. Well, for Radio Free Brooklyn, this has been The Next Best Thing. I'm John Lerner. Good night.
don't get many things right the first time. In fact, I am told that a 